Michael Eisenberg is with us live via telephone from Israel. He's been on the Nahum Siegel Network before. He is a partner at Venture Capital Fund, Aleph, in Tel Aviv, Israel. He's also the author of The Vanishing Jew, which in Hebrew is known as Kachaya Selah Yehudi. Uh, the Vanishing Jew is a, a new release. Um, it is subtitled A Wake-Up Call from the Book of Esther. Michael Eisenberg, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning, Achim. I'm actually in New York. Ah, how do you like that? <laughs> how are you? Proud to say, I am sure, especially after reading your book, that usually you're in Israel. I am usually in Israel. That is my home, home in Jerusalem, work in Tel Aviv, and uh, uh, it's nice to come back to Manhattan sometime, but much, much better to be in Israel. You know, after reviewing your book, it's almost, it's almost impossible to believe that the Jewish people survive episodes like Purim, you know? It's like, it is very, it is very hard to believe that they can persevere after, uh, after being ruled the way they were in Persia. Well, you know, the, the Jewish people will persevere. I think we're promised that, uh, ultimately, that that will, that that will happen. Uh, I think that, you know, the big question raised by Purim is actually the day after. And uh, set in its historical context, when uh, uh, Mordechai and Esther are part of the Persian Empire, and Ezra and Nehemiah at the same time are making their way back to Eretz Yisrael, working really hard uh, to rebuild the land and, and develop an economy, etc., you see kind of the, the dichotomy. And the question of Purim is, after you're saved, what happens the day after to the Jewish people uh, in the same numbers continue to exist. Uh, you know, after I published my book, uh, the Hebrew version of the book, which came out first, I was called in by David Bloomberg, who is the chairman of the National Library of Israel. He said, uh, Michael, let me tell you something. Between 1880 and 1910, three and a half million Jews uh, immigrated from Poland and Russia to North and South America. Mm -hmm. If you just multiply the population of the world by that, and Jews tend to have more children. Uh, you'd seem to have somewhere close to 20 million Jews in North and South America today. We only have 6 million. And that's kind of the question of the day after, is where did they all go? And the answer is? Uh, assimilation into the host culture. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a new phenomenon. Right. Uh, the two studies are not new. They were done in Persia 2,500 years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, the same is true today. And we have this wonderful opportunity today uh, with the state of Israel uh, to really realize our national dreams of 2,000 years and our individual communal dreams of 2,000 years. And I think it behooves us to take advantage of it. And I know that, I have, and I don't regret it. You know. Yeah, and that would be a, 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 a solid antidote. I wouldn't say flawless antidote, but a solid antidote to the problem that you just raised, which is, of course, assimilation in light of the circumstances. Uh, Michael Eisenberg is with us. So before we speak about Mordechai and Esther, more, maybe more specifically Mordechai and his leadership or lack thereof, uh, the day after, we we have to acknowledge that in general, um, it, and we know this, we know this from modern Jewish history and from so many examples in the past. Um, the Jews in Persia are in a situation <clears throat> where they are about to be literally eliminated, where the community, where, where the where it's not only a proposal, but it, but it is a fact that there is going to be a time in the very near future where there'll be a complete execution of the Jewish people, right? Well, uh, part of what I track through the, the book and the text of the Megillah is, uh, in the book, is the ups and downs of the economy. And it's a reasonably historical fact, it's true in the Megillah, too, that bad economies cause anti-Semitism and good economies cause assimilation. Right. And you can actually see that in the, in the text of, uh, of the Megillah. And, you know, the, the, the question of leadership is such as, what do we do about this? And again, Ezra and Nehemiah are coming back at that time to, to Israel 
you know, with rough hands and barely a penny, right. uh, but setting up a society that ultimately lasts for a very long time. And, you know, to the point you made earlier, uh, you know, the assimilation rate in Israel is, is less than 1%. In the United States, it's well over 50. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's non-denominational just in different times. It's amazing what four generations or three generations does to make people feel at home in their communal institutions and as part of government in a host country. And the same thing, like I said, happened in Persia 2,500 years ago. Right, I get all that. And that's why that's why I, I want to lay so much of the blame, not really on Jewish leadership, because we do have, I mean, whether it's today or whether it's back in Persia, there are, there are significant groups of Jewish leaders that encourage people to leave that host country and get to Israel. They're about to be annihilated, right? The Jews know now that, that after the story of Purim takes place, they were saved literally by miraculous events. And they're not moving. They're not going. You know, this, this whole thing to me seems so consumer-driven. There is a, there is, whatever, for whatever reason, there is, whether it's human nature, Jewish nature, or otherwise, for some reason, even days after, you know, uh, figuratively speaking, even days after being saved, uh, from the hands of the enemy, they're not willing to, to budge. So, I, I, Yeah, it's hard to understand, right? And, and the Meshach Chachma says, I'll bring this at the beginning of my book, you know, history repeats itself over and over again. Oh, yeah. The Jews become ensconced in where they are. Um, and then, you know, God needs to bring a, a wake-up call. And that wake-up call happened to Megillah this there. And one of the things to pay attention to, by the way, is the whole Zerah of Haman is four days. And the Megillah takes place of well over a decade long. Um, but the Zerah is four days until, until it's done. But the aftermath, the day after, of staying in Persia, excuse me, staying in America, uh, begs a lot of questions uh, of comfort and, you know, and uh, you know, lack of movement and lack of ability to open yourself up. You know, we dove in, I just finished dovening Sharkas. Well, it happened. And now we got to go. Yeah, look, any, list, any listener of this show know, knows where I stand on this issue. My point is, though, that while while many of us like to blame Jewish leadership, it seems that that even when encouraged, even when great leaders, and one must surmise that you know in the context of history there were some pretty great leaders uh, at the helm of the Jewish people after the story of Purim, as you just described earlier. Uh, nonetheless, it it takes such an effort, so much convincing, so much that falls on deaf ears that I don't know how much can be blamed on leadership. I'm, you know, blaming leadership is, it's easy to allocate blame. I, I, I would say in a positive example, the following, when Rabbi Riskin, almost or about 30 years ago, picked up and moved, many of his parishioners moved after him, not as many. And I think, you know, it's a question as who are the Nehemias of our generation? Who, when they get the message that there's both a Tzara and an opportunity in Eretz Israel, seizes it with both hands and says, I'm not encouraging you to move, I'm going to move myself, come with me. And I think uh, leadership by example is, is critical uh, in, in everything, and, and in this day and age in particular, we have, you know, we, we don't realize Israel's not a nebuchadnezzar place anymore, right? It, you know, since 1984 till today, the average annual income in Israel has grown from about $8,000 a year to $39,000 a year. In the last 12 months, the economy of Israel on an average income basis has passed France. It's going to pass England this year and catching up to the United States. So there's actually even economic opportunity and positive reasons to move. Uh, you know, that hopefully, uh, you know, by example, people will take, will take advantage of. Yeah, look, again, no convincing needed here, but it's my... I'm trying to convince your listeners now. Right, I understand. We're the greatest society in the history of the world. We Tr have trust me. Society. We have an opportunity. We 
Trust you know, me. Like Ramuda Lady said, the Tiftufars are zero. You got to hear it and then decide to do something. Trust, about it. trust me, you know a lot of people who can attest to the fact of how much I try to influence this audience when it comes to Israel. Michael Eisenberg is with us. My point simply that, that I don't know if Jewish leadership could be blamed because I see it now with my very own eyes. Uh, people, as you say, people see the situation, people uh, you know, make decisions for themselves, they assess situations for themselves. Everything that you mentioned about Israel today in 2017 is, is true, and when people are there, they feel it even more and even more strongly, and it is just very difficult. You know, I, I sometimes, I, I think about the miracle, and I say it like that, I think about the miracle that my mother's family left Germany when they did right around the time of Kristallnacht. Because I think about the same thing, by the way. And I, by the way, we shouldn't blame anybody. Allocating blame is never a good thing. You know, neither as a parent, nor as a community, uh, nor as anything. It's we should look at the opportunity. And you know, we need to ask ourselves again about that day after. Where is the story going uh, uh, around here? And what are the opportunities just to create an incredible Jewish society and one that's truly Jewish? You know, around its around its calendar, around its table. I don't have to worry. Do I take off Cholamoid or I take off Christmas? Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, so, uh, Michael, great I- opportunities. Michael Eisenberg, author of The Vanishing Jew, a wake-up call from the Book of Esther. Also, I, I thought... As if you I'm, buy it today on Amazon, you can have it by Purim, by the way. Oh, very nice. Boy, that Amazon Good. that Amazon is something. Must be an Israeli company. No, it must be. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be. I mean, come on. <laughs> the um, <laughs> if, if not, then there must be Israeli roots somewhere. Um, yeah, there's a Megillah in the back, although it's not cloth, so you may have to bring a second one to shul. All right. Hey, but if it's an emergency, someone at least can read along. You know what I mean? Exactly. But I, I must make one other point, and, and I know you're right about the blame thing, etc. I sometimes feel... That Mordechai gets a bum rap because you, you, I think, if I'm reading this correctly, would love to have seen him stand up the next day, essentially lead the charge to the Holy Land, right? That's what you would have liked, correct? Not only that, but the, 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 you know, the continuation of Esther is actually the Sefer of Nehemiah. It's so deep into Tanakh, many people don't get to it. But Perak Aleph of Nehemiah is the antithesis of Mordechai, where Nehemiah gets word of what's going on. Yerushalayim says, I got to go, and he goes to the king and says, I'm going. And he ends up building this great society uh, in Israel. And, you know, that's, it's contemporaneous or just after Mordechai. Uh, and, you know, Mordechai stays as the Mishnah Melchah Chashverosh. And I think that's the way to understand uh, Chazal as Miktas Sanhedrin Parshumi Menu. Literally, they put him in Cherem in, in that regard. And Ravashi, at the beginning of the Agathas in, in Megillah, says that this was a tragedy. Um, because Nehemiah is the antithesis of, of, of Mordechai in this case. Right. I just wonder because, you know, he spent all that time literally saving the Jews. And it, and, and it consumed him, we'd have to assume, right? Mordechai. I, it, I would assume. We'd have to assume it consumed him. And I sometimes think, I, a story once happened to me where I was walking with the legendary uh, Louis Bloom in the old city of Jerusalem with that Tarot Khan in. And, uh, and um, I said to him, I said, uh, you know, it, it's amazing to me that you don't live in the old city. That you're not one of those people who feels the pioneering spirit to do this. And he says to me, you know, I fought in the War of Independence. I'm going to stay in my apartment in the new area of Yerushalayim and let the young people, you know, go ahead, go ahead and, uh, and, and, and conquer the Muslim quarter, so to speak. It's, it sometimes seems to me that as much as we turn to Mordechai for leadership post the story of Purim, I don't know if it's on his shoulders after all of the attention that he, that he paid to saving the Jewish people uh, to go ahead and, and, and start anew and lead that charge. I just don't know if it's fair. It's possible. Uh, you know, it, it's really hard to know people's motivations in retrospect. Uh, 
Right. Uh, one of the critiques that's been on, on the book, although it's been pretty critically acclaimed in Israel, I got an email uh, right before I went on air that it's number two on the bestseller list uh, for this week wow. uh, in Israel. Uh, that, um, you know, it's hard to understand people's motivations in retrospect, and I think that's a fair critique, you know, but we got to look at we got to look at Jewish history, and we got to look at what uh, the Meshachachma says, and what Ravashi told us, and what's been told throughout generations. And I tell a story at the beginning of the book uh, that when I was a, a, in yeshiva in the Gush, right after the Gulf War, Ravamital turned to me at some point and said, "You know, it doesn't matter if you live in the old city or Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or in the periphery. What you need to do is come to Israel and set up an economy that'll employ ten thousand people to earn a decent living." And I think of all the incredible talents of the Jewish community in America and how much better a life we can make uh, in Israel if we bring all those incredible talents to Israel. And I just think that that opportunity uh, as a Jew should motivate all of us. 100%. Uh, that I agree with. Uh, look, you, you have to stop by here one day. We got to do a longer uh, presentation on this topic. You're very, you have, you have a lot to say. You're very convincing. You have great sources, and maybe we could turn some people on to head six thousand miles east and get to the Holy Land. Michael Eisenberg, he's author of the book The Vanishing Jew: A Wake Up Call for the Book of Esther. He claims if you order it from Amazon now, you can have it in time for Purim. And I'm sure you're trying to work with a startup company who could actually get it to people within an hour, right? I think Amazon could probably do that too. If this is digitally printed, but uh, but yeah, we're trying to revolutionize the world. And you know, the amazing thing is, with with internet connection today, you can literally run any business out of Israel right now. I mean, I'm, I'm investing in an insurance company that sells in New York and operates out of Tel Aviv. So, you know, just an incredible time we're living in. It's filled with great opportunities and great opportunities to do it for the Jewish people out of Israel. Michael, can't thank you enough. Happy Purim. Look forward to seeing you in Israel. Happy Purim. See you soon, Nahum. Thanks the van- for the time. A pleasure. The Vanishing Jew, a wake-up call from the Book of Esther. Michael Eisenberg, a lot to say, and he says it well uh, for us here at JM in the AM.